loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Adrian Yenick, Brianna hernandez Bauerter, and William Rhodes. Let me share a little bit about each of them. Adrian Yenick, who goes by She and They, is an artist, educator, singer-songwriter, an end-of-life doula who resides in the high desert of California, the other end of my state. Her mediated performances have been written about in the New York Times, published in the Drama Review, and recognized by the Rockefeller Foundation. Her current creative research practice spans data humanization performances, eco-tarot readings, and experiments in extreme experiential learning. Yannick serves as professor of Intermedia at the School of Art, Arizona State University, and she's the creative producer of the artist's grief deck, which we'll mostly be talking about today. My other two guests are two of the contributing artists in that project. Brianna hernandez Bauerter is an interdisciplinary artist, curator, and educator guided by socially engaged practices. In the studio, Brianna creates installations through several mediums, including large-scale charcoal drawings, video art, and performances. Her current body of work focuses on the experience of providing end-of-life care and subsequent grieving process, which in addition to formal artworks, offers workshops and takeaway resources for viewers to self-educate through the safety of the creative process. As a curator, Brianna works with artists to make socially charged topics publicly accessible in order to create opportunities for education and empathy. This focus on empathy building is also embedded into her education philosophy, whether in the classroom, workshops, or as a consultant to community health researchers incorporating the arts into collection and dissemination of public health project data. Finally, William Rhodes is a mixed-media artist that blends fine art, craft, and design with meaning and function. His work explores themes of hidden knowledge, iconographic imagery, and forms, and how they can change meaning depending on the cultural context. It's informed by the people, art, and cultures of his travels who've who've challenged him to integrate non-Western approaches. He received a BA in furniture building and design from the University of the Arts in Philadelphia and an MSA, MFA, excuse me, from the University of Massachusetts. His creative works are in the collections of various galleries and museums, including the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. He dedicates part of his time to art education, including art collaborations with schools in San Francisco, South Africa, Italy, and Egypt. And he's a co-founder of a Black art collective in San Francisco, that's my part of the state, the 3-9 Art Collective formed in 2011 in response to the declining Black population in San Francisco. 
So before we begin, since my guests today are visual artists, I want to suggest that you open a new window on your browser or search on a device and go to griefdeck.com. That's griefdeck.com. So you can look at the amazing art we're talking about while you listen to our conversation. Welcome to all three of you. It's so good to have you. Thanks so much, Cheryl. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. Um, you're, this is more guests possibly than I've ever had on the show at once, and um, it's delightful. So <laughs> we'll see how we, how we do. I want to start with you, Adrian, since you um, produced this amazing, um, uh, got this whole project off the ground, which is amazing. I looked at all the art in the last... Um, you know, several days and, and all the writing as well, because the pairings are really, really beautiful mm. and, and meaningful to me as someone who every day is talking about and thinking about grief. So mm. thank you for that. But I'm hoping you can say uh, kind of what led to the project, um, you know, what brought you to it. I know that you did a previous deck uh, that that to me intersects with with this, but can you can you talk some about how the project came about? Sure, I'm happy to, um, and thanks, Cheryl, for the permission to the listeners to be looking at the site um, because all the cards in the deck and all the prompts are on the site, um, which we're really happy about. So this project was really um, emerged from an artist working group on collective grief that I was invited to join because of my work as a death doula. Um, Andrew Friedband, who is the um, director of the Artist Literacies Institute, was asked by a group called VOAD, the Volunteer Organizations Active in Disasters, to um, think through if artists could actually be helpful to them as they were trying to fill an unmet need to attend to grief around the COVID-19 disaster that was hitting New York. This was in uh, the spring. And people were really devastated, hit by it. It was obvious that grief, um, normal types of grief, uh, counseling, uh, uh, houses of worship, other even just gathering with others um, or being around people, around their bodies, things that were rich were not accessible. And so the, um, the, and also that there was this need to grieve on a collective, on a communal level. It wasn't just individual grieving, it was also this larger kind of issue of a culture that was grieving. And so they brought, they thought bringing artists together, we might have some out of the box ideas of, uh, you know, what, what might be done to attend to this. And certainly there were in this artist working group, there were other artists that have been working around grief in their work or work also like myself as, as um, uh, end-of-life doulas or, or in workshops with, um, with grieving people. There were also um, people from the VOAD group, and those included everyone from people, um, I think it was like the director of the Red Cross or like someone very high up in the Red Cross to faith leaders um, to people that are working on like psychological issues. So it was a, it was a diverse working group. And what kept surfacing was this idea of a kind of toolkit that was like a, a, a lot of different, because the idea was, oh, there's so many different cultures, so many different communities, so many different things. What's a toolkit that can point people to different things that they might need. And, mm-hmm. 
as you mentioned, because of my own past work um, with my own work, the Ecotura, where I perform, uh, cli- I read people's climate futures with this Ecotura deck I have. Um, it occurred to me that something like, not for cardomancy, but something like a deck of cards that would be more like flashcards could be really beautiful and useful for a number of re- ways. Um, one was that art, of course, is something that, um, you know, really provokes our, connects us, can connect us in a way that sometimes um, other things, it's when it's hard to connect, um, it speaks often beyond words. Um, and it can get into those symbolic areas or areas across culture that, again, language barriers might, um, you know, inhibit, prohibit us from, from communicating. Um, the other way was that thought was that artists, if we had on one side an image and on the other side some kind of prompt, that it would be an entrance point into working around grief that um, maybe people would not think to make an altar or do a certain exercise or do something, but maybe they would be attracted to a piece of art and then turn it over. And maybe just because of that, they would be open to trying something else out to help them in their grief process. And then inviting the grief prompts was really something that was felt important to me. It feels like sometimes when you're in grief, as you know, you're things can be very overwhelming. Maybe you can't read a whole 300-page book. Um, oh, yes. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not a good time to talk to people or, again, like you can't reach people. And so it felt like something that could be both intimate and could also work with groups but also could speak for many different voices. And I love that aspect of it because obviously both the COVID pandemic and grief itself is such a unique, peculiar individual. I mean, speaking to your podcast, you have all all those different stories on like how we experience it. And each death, of course, we experience differently as well. And so it felt like really appropriate to have all these different voices um, come to bear. What we did was I pitched it to the group. The group immediately was like, yes, that sounds great. And then Andrew was the producer and he did everything I didn't want to do. We decided from the beginning that we would have producers, an open call. Producers, they're gold. My daughter's <laughs> <Yes>. a producer. <laughs> yeah, we love producers, for sure. Uh, and he has been fantastic because um, he was able to push a lot of things along um, uh, that, you know, again, were things that I didn't really feel like I had. Well, I could do and I have done with projects in the past, but it was nice to have that support. Mm-hmm. And he basically, um, well, from the beginning, I imagined it both as a printed deck of cards and as a living repository that people could submit to. And so just, again, to your audience to let them know that you can go look at the cards on the site, but also you can submit your own grief prompts or your own imagery to the site. It's a living repository. And, you know, every few weeks or every month, we'll be putting the new cards up. And so they'll continually reshuffle and grow. And so in that way, the project can expand and evolve um, to respond to this crisis, other kinds of grief that people are dealing with. And really grow. So that's a good place to stop probably with me talking about that. What's what's very, very meaningful to me is that um, this time with COVID has, as you can imagine, um, just revolutionized the grief space. (laughs) You know, um, Doing, for instance, just a small personal example, doing all of all of the therapy I do online right. and then having it be 
you know, someone comes to me and they've just had a really significant loss and I'm a little box on a screen. It's so different. And at the same time, there's the same heart in it. But the idea that people, especially artists and musicians, you know, I'm in a choir, we've had to completely switch the way we do music, uh, you know, but it is very beautiful that things are already coming out of this time that don't make it all better. We, we wouldn't say that, but they're their own thing of beauty. And so that's what really captured me about this project. And of course, then everybody has their own language. You're you're all artists. You have a visual language. I'm I'm words and music. Uh, my wife's an artist, so she's very visual. You know, it's uh, uh, and other people have other other ways of communicating it. So that really um, resonated for me when I saw when I saw your project when it came. Oh. I'm really glad. And and I just want to say one thing that's been really interesting to me to experience as an end of life doula is that so many people now have death on their mind because of it unfolding around us in a different way. And it, it means that we're opening these spaces that might have seemed taboo before they're, you know, they're becoming more naturalized or resources like your own or, you know, what other people have been doing are really, thank goodness that they exist and people are really seeking them out in a different way. It feels like to me, like not just right at that end part, but realizing, oh, I need to access this somehow. I need to engage with this somehow. So it feels like yes. there's an opening for that, you know, that space of conversation um, even wider it's, than it was before. It, it honestly feels to me almost like the whole world just joined my community. <laughs> In a really different way. And I want to talk to my other two guests about this because I know from looking into what you both do and have done in the past that you both have um, personal intersections with grief that you've brought into your work before all of this. And then there's this. So let me ask you first, Brianna, how you got involved in this project and, you know, what, uh, what inspired you to to um, put a piece in it just um, what it's what it's been for you so far (laughs) yeah for sure Um, well as you mentioned you know we've been involved in this work since before a lot of the changes this past year have happened and so my friend sent the sent me the call knowing that this work that I've been interested in and I was so excited to see that it was happening to, to know that you know, there's other people out there who are making moves to to break these conversations open in accessible ways. So I just, you know, was like, hey, I'll just submit some of my work and see what happens. Was very grateful to, you know, become a participant in the project and see how um, sharing it out with others. Like, of course, I'm sharing it saying, look, I'm in this thing, but then getting to see how other people have been using it, folks that I know who have not had as many toolkits as Adrian mentioned to to break into this space with their own conversations like inside themselves and with their families. Um, even though I make work about grief, it, even being able to share it with my family has opened up new ways of talking about it that maybe, you know, as you said, we were speaking a different language before. <laughs> so I've just been um, appreciating, you know, growing into this larger conversation and hoping that um, since we can't change the situation we're in, that we can create 
tools like this moving forward and, and have other folks be more open to embracing them. I know that the particular image that you have shared because your prompt you wrote, <laughs> so you do you do have words as well as visual, um, is about holding vigil for your for your own mother. And there's so uh, I, that's poignant in in the age of COVID because the ways that people typically hold vigil, the way that I have. Um, the way that I did with my first wife, for instance. I mean, that was immersive. There was huge numbers of community in and out. You know, it could not happen now. (laughs) It just could not. And so that idea that we are still holding vigil or can um, is what your piece um, made me think of. But would you describe the image for people? Yeah, so it's actually, it's a still from a video where I've arranged all of the dried flowers that were left for my mother while she was actively dying um, into a space where I'm able to walk through them. And so in the video, I'm actively moving through this space. Um, and it's viewed from kind of like knee level down. Um, but the still is just where I'm, I guess, facing the camera, but you can't see my face, um, amidst all these dried flowers that while they are, are dead, they're still holding a lot of their color and shape. So trying to point to this very still, um, almost like out of time space that vigil is where you're waiting for this next step to happen. You don't really know exactly when or how it's gonna how it's going to pass but um being being present in that moment even if it's as the video shows pacing back and forth (laughs) unsure exactly how you're supposed to react um but but really just being mindful of what's happening and not trying to look away from it you know one thing that your image um kind of inspired for me and a lot of the images in this project there's obviously grief you know it's it it was clear looking at the image kind of the rawness of it and the bareness of it but also such such beauty you know and uh i i hope listeners who are not going and looking at it can kind of hear that in your description all this color and brightness which connected for me with uh, with um the fact that grief isn't depression right? Everything isn't gray. (laughs) There's still color, but it's just uh, so intense emotionally. Uh, And your your image captured that quite well, I thought. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. (laughs) And let's get to you, William. Um, Can you, your your piece, uh, you know, uh, inspire such emotion. To me, it's a very emotional image, which, of course, I love. You know, my, my family makes fun of me because I like emotion. <laughs> you know, I might cry, <laughs> laugh, or scream at any moment. <laughs> and so seeing an image like yours, which I'll have you describe as well, um, it's, 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 huh. I was going to use my own imagery, music to my ears, uh, but I'll, <laughs> music to my eyes, I guess I'll say in this context. Uh, and, and I was really interested in your prompt, so maybe you can also speak to that, how you got involved in the project, um, you know, what draws you to this project, um, 
how how you intersect with it and maybe something about your image and your prompt. Yeah, absolutely. So I received an email from a friend who is with uh, Reimagine, which is, you know, a, a group. Uh, I certainly know of them, done workshops for them in the past. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are absolutely amazing. And I applied, you know, not really thinking I would get in, you know, I just wanted to apply because I felt like it was such a strong project and got accepted. And I was just elated. Um, and as far as my image, I actually have it here. I don't know if viewers can see this. They can't because uh, we're radio. That's why oh, I invited them to okay. go look. Oh, okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have asked you to describe it. <laughs> yes. So I apologize. So, so no my, problem. My image, um, it is an image with, it's, it's a black figure in the front. And you can make out the, the, the features, that, which is a portrait of myself, the eyes, the nose, the mouth but it's all scratched in and it has gold leaf behind it. And what really was the thing that I really used the whole process of making the piece as my way of kind of dealing with the grief, the passing of my father. Um, when my father passed away, you know, it was just so many raw emotions that I was dealing with. And there is a technique that you can do. It's called, you know, using a litho stone, which is a, it's an old technique with a big stone. It's a, a big piece of granite. And it's an old printing, printmaker's technique. And you put a material on that, which is like a tar-like substance, uh, asphaltum. You put it on the, on the stone, and you can actually use a sharp tool, and you carve into the black asphaltum. And that acts as a resist to the ink when you actually ink it up and do the print. So basically, you're working in reverse. And for me, it was really important because kind of out of this darkness, I was able to literally scratch out something, this, this new definition of myself. So, coming, so it was this metaphor and also a physical experience of coming out of this darkness. And then the gold, the flash of light behind me, you know, by using the gold leaf, kind of accentuated that. So when you see the card, it has this contrast of this strong gold behind it and its actual gold leaf and then this strong black image in the front. And it was interesting then to read, um, you know, about, you talk about the, the um, effect on our self-definition of grief and the image to me, uh, art is so subjective, but for me, it was like, Take, being taken apart and put back together at the same time. <laughs> there was sort of a sense of being broken, but there was also a sense of being put together newly, I guess. That's the way Absolutely. I think. So I may be adding that in, but no, that's what I not. felt when I looked at it. No, I'm so happy you gathered that from the people. That's exactly what happened. You know, just, just this whole change, and, and I'm sure many of our listeners may have experienced this. You know, when you have a, a person, you know, in your family, I come from a small family. I'm, a, I'm an only child. So when one member passes, which is my father, it just changes the whole structure of family and everything. So in that, I literally had to, I became a new person. You know, my, my mother, everything changed in her life. I became the, I grew up all of a sudden. So everything, this new definition of who I was, really, I had to 
you know, really accept this new person and this artwork. I, I'm so happy it reflects that. Absolutely, it does. And that's such a, a, a deep message for, for me because, uh, you know, when my first wife died, I would say to people, I'm, I'm completely changed. And, and they would say, you're, you're, you're exaggerating. <laughs> but that was my actual true experience. And I'd say, I'm not exaggerating. I may look familiar to you, but I'm not the same person. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a different person um, in many good ways, as well as the painful ways. Uh, so I really, I resonated with that. Um, obviously, you. many of the messages on the backs, the, the prompts, as you're calling them, um, are the words of the artist, but I was very interested that a lot of the words were from a group called the Nas- National Hospice Cooperative, and I, I was hoping, um, Adrian, that you could talk about that a little bit because I went and looked at them. I didn't know about them, and they seem to be doing pretty amazing work, and they're, I went and looked mostly because the prompts felt true to me, and mm. I don't mean that in the true and false way. I mean, they resonated with the experiences of my own experiences and the experiences of all the hundreds of people I've talked to in grief. Mm. Um, So that was very meaningful to me as well. Can you say how they um, intersect here? Sure, sure. So when we were, um, Andrew and I did a Kickstarter campaign in order to fund the project because we didn't have any, you know, funding. We thought, here's a good idea. We wanted to distribute them. The VOADs are obviously helping people in disaster. They don't have any money for, you know. <laughs> so we, we did a Kickstarter campaign. Kickstarter came on and made us a featured product. And, and um, so, um as part of that, um, we were found out, someone passed us on to um, uh, the Ohio's Hospice, which is a nonprofit hospice in Ohio. It's their main nonprofit hospice. And um, they decided to, uh, th- they had actually had like a need they saw in their hospice work among their grief workers for something that was ecumenical, that had came from different voices that might be able to speak in different ways. And they loved the idea of working with artists. And so they partnered with us. They became our angel investors to take us over over the amount um, for the Kickstarter. And that them coming in enabled us to be able to pay the artists. We can do a Spanish translation of the deck, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they are associated with the National Hospice Coalition. So they helped us pair with, we said we can use some extra prompts. Um, we got some prompts, but um, we could use some extra prompts. And so um, so some of those prompts we curated in, um, yeah, and, instead yeah. of... It's, it's time for a break, and we may want to talk a little more about this, but I love that because sometimes, uh, for instance, my, my wife, I was telling her about this project. She's made two, she made a, a huge piece for her dad when he died and her mom when she died. You know, they're gorgeous, but she doesn't care to put words in it. <laughs> so, um, you know, the idea that if someone doesn't want to add the words, there are words that will fit. Is, is great for me. So let's come back and talk a little more about that when, uh, when we return. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find these three wonderful artists and, and all their collaborators, you can go to griefdeck.com. Be back soon. Mm-hmm. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with three artists from the artist grief deck, uh, and uh, during the break, I was telling you that I kind of felt as if uh, some of my clients who'd who'd taken a dive into deep grief in whatever way, like you, you, you. I'm sure you have your own story, Adrienne, and then um, uh, William and Brianna. You've both lost a parent that. If you haven't run away from it, if you've, if you've kind of um, dived into it, which obviously you have because you created something out of it, you have to let it happen for that to occur, that in some way I felt as if people who'd had that experience were a little of, ahead of other people in terms of how to face a challenge like COVID or shelter, whatever the individual um, imprint of this time. Um, that people were saying things like, this kind of reminds me of when I lost such and such, and um, so I'm doing blank, you know, (laughs) whatever it is that they learned. Was that your experience, the three of you? Definitely. Um, I, I, I really resonate with that a lot. In part, actually, my own grief journey has uh, really relates back to the last um, large pandemic, the AIDS crisis um, here in the United States. Um, I was a person in my early 20s, my formative years in New York City uh, in the midst of it. And um, many of my friends were young um, queers and uh, were really 
all of a sudden, uh, my whole community as an artist, um, you know, everyone that I loved and thought was fantastic and beautiful was like falling ill. I mean, no, really no exaggeration. And because people at that, that time were being shunned by their families, there was a lot of fear around the disease we ha- had friends had to step really stepped up into that space that normally would have been, you know, a family space. And so it was my first time of really, uh, it wasn't my first death, but it was definitely my first time of really having many people close to me go through a process of dying and being a- at their side and really experiencing and understanding what a sacred space that is and what an important space it is to hold, you know, for people and, Um, So, yeah, so I have uh, thinking about COVID now and just also all the uncertainty, um, like, and and the grieving that comes that's not about individual people dying a lot, losing a job, losing, you know, your community, losing, um, you know, the opportunity to be outside, Um, you know, so many school for kids, I mean, so many losses. And so understanding how, as you said, to not push away, to not, Um, ignore to not numb out to those processes but how to really have some ways to kind of move with all the feelings that come up has been invaluable for me to help me and then by extension my community kind of move through this space and of course we're still in it so still working yeah I've had so many flashbacks to that time you know I'm in the Bay Area and I'm a lesbian so of course I was affected by um, the AIDS pandemic um, in personal and just sort of community ways. And uh, I've noticed as well similarities, differences, but, um, you know, how we, how we cope with that and how we show up for each other definitely has, has been with me <laughs> in this time. So I, I resonate with that a lot. And what about you, Brianna? Um, Absolutely. I mean, th- this whole experience has been um, in a lot of ways – a replay of the emotions and uh, thoughts that I had at, uh, during the last chunk of time as a caregiver, like knowing that death was imminent. And then also like the, the first chunk of time after my mother passed um, more acutely uh, grieving. And uh, what I found interesting is how noticing the parallels has uh, made me look at um, at that point of my experience in a different way and um, contextualize it so that as I've, as I've been making work about caregiving and grief, that I've been able to talk about it in ways that have become more accessible to a certain extent. And knowing that because I've been building up this body of work and the research and resources that I then offered to people you know, once they've experienced my work, I've had a lot of friends and acquaintances and just people that I meet online reaching out to me for advice and, um, and you know, insights as to, you know, what, the, what they can be doing for themselves, for their loved ones. So um, it's also made me realize just how prepared I was for something like this in that sense, because I can say, yes, here's something, here's a resource, he, um, here's, a, here's a guidebook, here's the grief deck, and, or like, here's, here's something that I witnessed um, in my own thought process that maybe you can be mindful of so that you don't, um, you know, maybe sit in, sit in guilt that's not yours to hold or, you mm-hmm. know, 
or react to somebody else in, in your circle who's also lost that person and create conflict because you're dealing with it differently. So in obviously very heavy ways, I have felt prepared in this time because of going through the process of caring for my mother in the final year of her life. Yeah, you know, who knows how we would experience grief differently if we'd had different experiences, right? It can't be known. But I do know that a lot of things that other people have struggled with haven't affected me at all. Like, I don't feel like I'm going crazy. I haven't decided to write the great American novel during pandemic. You know, I've kind of given myself a break. <laughs> I think one of the, one of the, um, the, one of the quotes on the back of one of the cards said, you are still worthy even if breathing is all you could do today. I love that. <laughs> I've been saying that to people a lot. So what about you, William? Uh, do, you, do you feel as if you're using some of what grief has taught you during this time of global grieving? Absolutely. Um, you know, with the death of my father, one thing that I realized um, you know, it was it was just such a, a huge void in my life and in my mother's life. But there is, you know, when a person dies, sometimes there, it's like a snowball effect. So, you know, just for example, my father's passing, that affected the economic situation of, of my, my mother. And then certain things, just taking care of business. My father used to take care of a lot of business matters. So everything started to shift. And then that impacted how I was living because then I had to take on certain responsibilities. So this whole world shifted in a way. And the only way I could really gather myself was to try to develop some type of a practice because I was about to have a nervous breakdown. So it, so <laughs> Not it <lit>. preferable. <laughs> yeah. So I had to develop a spiritual practice, you know, whether it be rituals of meditation, you know, some type of a practice to keep myself grounded. So let's just move it to current times. You know, these practices I had to continue to do. So now with the COVID thing taking place and seeing all of this uncertainty and everything else, I'm still implementing those same practices. And I think that's helped me, you know, really get through it to a certain degree. Um, it still doesn't take away the pain and and the and just the sorrow and just seeing how it affects other people. But at least when I get really overwhelmed, I can go and do my spiritual practice, and that can start to ground me in a way. Oh, that resonates for me. It also makes me think maybe the primary um, thing I end up working with people a lot on and highlight in this show a lot is uh, you know, kind of uh, you it, you're. Grief is safe, I guess I want to say, you know, yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll survive the feelings and having a way to be with them. Like, I think meditation does that, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's a way of being with it that lets it pass through us. Yeah. And um, one of my teachers, Stephen Levine, um, used to say, grief is the difference between what we wish was true and what was true. So, uh, there's been so many different types of grief. Uh, I'm not seeing my grandkids. You know, that's a survivable grief, but it's still a grief. Um, other people can't, they're too old to feel safe going to the grocery store and they used to like shopping. You know, it's everything from the very smallest to the very largest. 
But I want to ask a question of the three of you that particularly relates to artists in this time. Um, I I've, know a lot of artists, and I also, um, my daughter's an artist. She has not lost her job because she works for Sundance, but m- many, many, many you know, her boyfriend who was a set designer, <laughs> every, everyone she knows practically. And yet um, I've noticed at the same time, there is such a lot of art of every kind um, happening and being put out in a kind of um, hugeness of generosity, I want to say. And as three artists in the world, um, because you brought up economics, William, and I think that's an under talked about there there's some talk about it but it's so much bigger than the talk in my in my view you know the economic crisis this is for and then of course in the film and theater community uh when you don't have a part you're working in a restaurant right so <laughs> there's there's no part and there's no restaurant um the stars are doing okay but the people that that are looking for the next part and trying to survive they're struggling so uh, I know that's a different a different form of art, that um, but still, I know William, for instance, that you do tours, art tours. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure you're not doing that right now. So, could you yeah. all talk about that phenomenon of of kind of um, having the way that you actually survive so disrupted? Could we start with yeah. you, William? Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I meant you, you mentioned a very good point. I meant we literally had a tour lined up. Um, I do tours through Italy, and it's, it's like our tours, and we had people lined up. We had to, you know, give the money back and, and pretty much stop. So that was a major shift. Um, and all of, I also work, I do run intergenerational programs with young people and seniors, bringing them together. Everything changed with that. So now we're, Everything's online, everything's Zoom. And I'm working with a population of seniors ranging from ages uh, 64 to 104. And you're asking people now to learn how to use technology <laughs> to access things. So it was, it was crazy. You know, it has been crazy. Um, and, but, you know, as far as art goes, and I want to make sure I'm answering your question. It has been challenging trying to do things the old traditional way, yes. But it has been exciting seeing the things that are coming out that are beyond the traditional way. So, for Mm -hmm. instance, like the grief deck. So now art is now being used in a way to heal and help people, nurture people in a community instead of you're just producing art to put on a wall put in a museum to sell it. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it is, it has a different, now it's being used as a, is a different type of a tool. And I, and I'm excited about that. Um, but it is, it has been, I don't, I hope I answered your question, but yes, it has been a huge adjustment and I'm still trying to adjust to that shift. It feels to me almost as if it's two parallel roads, all the losses and the pains of those losses uh, can't be compensated for and what is fresh and new and creative that's happening. They're sort of both happening. Um, I don't know if I ever would have attended, for instance, the Sundance Festival that my daughter works with if it wasn't online. <laughs> you know, that was an opportunity I didn't know if I would ever have. She's 
tells me I'm not able enough to actually go to Utah and b- brave the snow, you know. So that's a, that's another example. What about for you, uh, Brianna? Have you have you felt both of those impacts? The up and the uh, yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, it's never just one. It's it's definitely both and and some kind of weird mixture in between. Um, I actually. At the beginning of March, I arrived at an artist residency in another state. And within a week and a half of getting there, they shut the whole thing down. They, they pulled the group around a table and they're like, all right, staff's working from home. Like, you, you can stay if you have to, but uh, please don't go anywhere if you do. So immediately everybody starts <laughs> freaking out, trying to figure out how to get home, especially some international folks who, you know, kept getting their flights canceled and, you know, they... Uh-huh don't really know what the next move is. And we were we were very fortunate, the one that I was at, they, the folks running the residency took really good care of us, but I heard about a lot of other artists who, when they were pushed out of theirs for just necessity, um, they had nowhere to go. So I, I just know that between that and a lot of the galleries that are permanently shut down and, and programs that are canceled indefinitely um, or postponed indefinitely, um, I know there's been a lot of hurt in the in the arts community of, you know, again, to your point, William, the folks who've kind of been been successful and stuff, they're they're doing, you know, they're doing great. But um, the folks who've been trying to make it are really hurting. So I've been noticing and feeling that a lot and, and very grateful for the times that I've been able to continue working on my practice throughout throughout all of this, because I know it's not a reality for a lot of artists right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the flip side being grateful and, and glad to be a part of, a, you know, a, this larger group of artists that are trying to focus on having their work respond to, you know, what's going on, whether that's, you know, with the pandemic or police brutality or whatever it is that folks are saying, okay, this is a, this, this if, if not before, which would have been also, this is the time to really push this conversation through the work because, I mean, as, as mentioned with my bio as a curator, I think that the work is a really great access point for people who would otherwise be intimidated by or confused by certain content. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a great opportunity to lead people into this discussion on grief um, through the visual arts, through music, through writing, such as the prompts on the cards. Um, and I've had the opportunity to show my work last fall. I, ha- I had an exhibition for Dia de Muertos. And even though it was like, you know, five people in the gallery at a time, temperature checks and wearing a mask and everything, there was also this really great vir- virtual tour that I could send to my family and out of state and they wouldn't have been able to see it anyway. And, um, I think it it pushed a lot of galleries that did stay afloat to to go in that direction in order to still stay connected to people. Um, mm-hmm. I know that one of the arts organizations I'm on the board for, they expanded their reach of youth served for arts education because everything became virtual. They were able to serve different zip codes um, and and get funding to support the fact that they've expanded their reach. So it's kind of this weird mixture of both and seeing it all and reconciling it all together that, that honoring the fact that there's a lot of, a lot of pain right now um, and also appreciating where folks are stepping into these conversations in bold new ways. Mm. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I'm in Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir, and we always do a concert every December in the Paramount Theater. Uh, been the last, I don't know, 36 years-ish. We obviously couldn't do that. So we had a virtual concert, and it was the same thing. It was, it was such a profound loss uh, not, to, not to cap out our year that way. And yet, I had friends, you know, all over the place who came, who would never, ever have heard our concert any other way. It's just mixed up. What about you, Adrian? You got some thoughts about this two ways to the to wherever <laughs> feeling? Yeah, I mean, I have more thoughts than we have time for. It really hit our <laughs> nerve. To with come back. <laughs> right. Well, I have so many friends and students, and that were just like barely kind of clawing out in existence. And we're talking about unbelievably talented people. But you know, in this country, people are either artists are either way overvalued or uh, unbelievably undervalued for what they do, and so. So that's been hard because, for instance, some of my friends that are musicians, um, all of the places they did gigs are gone. They don't know when they're going to be able to really play again. I mean, they, you know, they can still, we can always do our work for free. We're going to keep doing it in certain ways. We're very resourceful. We're going to get through it. On the other hand, you know, many artists like are also um, do uh, have issues with um, with mental mental health issues. Um, it's just uh, it's just a part of being a sensitive person in the world means that you know that you become it becomes pathologized or there's ways that you maybe don't fit exactly with the world and those things have become like that much more amplified. I see with my students, so many of them, you know, were moving along and then this just like took you know just knock them down in a way because all of a sudden you're working on projects and they're no longer relevant in a way as brianna mentioned we have racial justice reckoning we have the pandemic of course we're in the midst of uh human driven climate disruption what are we making our art for so on one level really powerful important moment for people to be like okay this is not a business as usual moment you know to just keep doing the same thing on the other level it's i think when we come out of this when we emerge and look around at what's left you know like in terms of our cultural sphere it's really it's very concerning to me like what you know of course we'll build the new um but there's a lot of loss with um places that are gathering places just the whole public sphere it feels like and and they're healing important places for people so i'm i'm curious we're weathering through it now but i'm curious what's going to happen and again want to be of service you know as as we move through this time so um yeah sorry oh no um i you know you brought up i i was realizing that we're talking about today because this project started as a response to covid we're talking about it in that context but when i think about all the things that have happened in this period of time that, you know, um, those of us who are creative people have to make something out of it, right? <laughs> but there's so many things to make something out of. It's staggering. And uh, honestly, I was already in that frame of mind um, the whole last four years, uh, just, just being sort of feeling like there's a daily assault on my being. Uh, mm. I, I'm not sure that's yeah. overstated. Um, and then 
you know, this movie I watched this morning, Homeroom, about an Oakland school in this last year, um, was amazing because COVID hit and then George Floyd was killed. And and so these young people, these amazing young people had to figure out would they go out in the street or not? And, you know, just there's just so many things to respond to. So I I agree with you on that. You know, we we can't differentiate them. And what will be left is in Oakland, for instance, a lot of empty storefronts. Right. Which means restaurants where people worked and created beautiful food and um, places to go hear music, art and and comedy. Uh, You know, there's... It, it's it's going to be. Uh, I, I've been t- taking to a practice of figuring out what I want to be there when this is over, and throwing mm. a little bit of money if I have it yeah. that direction. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. it's going to be a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, I, I just want to make sure I know we're um, counting down soon. And I just want to make sure people know that if they're interested in getting a grief deck, of course, all the cards are online. But if they wanted a physical copy, they can just go in that about space on the um, site. There's an about area and then there's a link to purchase the decks there. And I wanted to mention, I mentioned the Spanish translation that's soon coming out. But we also are going to be working on a children's focus, children and teens focus deck as well. So those oh, are some things. Amazing. That we have coming up, yeah. And the other thing that struck me, thanks for thanks for uh, interrupting to to make sure people hear about that. Um, that people can still submit. I think we mentioned this earlier, but people can still submit their art, and you're kind of a living, growing project. Uh, totally, which, absolutely, which is fantastic because I think there is something about having having the things we create out of pain seen. And, and registered by other people, by community. So Definitely. I think that's a wonderful aspect. You can only just artwork. You can put in artwork and a prompt, or you can just put in a prompt. So um, there, there's all of those options within it to submit and, and contribute to the project. That's fantastic. I've enjoyed my time with the three of you very much. Thank you for coming on today uh, and and talking about art, which isn't always what artists like to do. So I really, I really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thanks so Absolutely. much, Cheryl. Keep me keep me updated on you know the next steps here. Well, too. Uh, so again, to find the artist grief deck and everything we've talked about in terms of that, go to griefdeck.com. Next week, I'll have Zibby Owens grief author and editor of Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.